Welcome to the Third City Christian Church Podcast. This week's message is Noise, Part 4, Worship, recorded Sunday, March 19th, 2023. If you have a story about how God is working in your life, please let us know by sending an email to podcast at thirdcityc.org. Now here's Scott with today's message. Well, we're in this series called Noise, as you know, and we're moving toward Easter with a goal that we will listen to God more clearly, that we'll, we'll let God cut through the chatter of the world and say things to us that we need to hear. During his 40 days in the wilderness, Jesus heard other voices. There was chatter beyond God. Uh, The devil showed up to confront Jesus. And Lucifer is no joke. Uh, Before the angel Lucifer uh, had become what we call the devil, he was the worship leader of heaven. At least the scripture indicates that. The story of Lucifer's fall is found in two Old Testament passages, and then also the book of Revelation describes it to some extent. If you read Ezekiel chapter 28 and Isaiah chapter 14, you can read something about it. But here's what it says in Ezekiel 28:17: Your heart became proud on account of your beauty, and you corrupted your wisdom because of your splendor. I mean, apparently, he became so impressed with himself that he replaced his desire to worship Yahweh God with himself. And this is nothing new. The sin that corrupted Lucifer was self-generated pride. Pride. It's the sin that originated in his free will It's the sin that he used to pull Adam and Eve off course with God. And quite frankly, he's really good at pulling us in the same sin. He's good at it. He's very attractive. He's an attractive being. And he offers a different kind of glory. And he can deliver at some level. He has a splendor that can't be denied. And make no mistake about it, he's very successful. He has been and will be until the end of days. He battles with God for our worship. That's his goal. He succeeded in heaven with the angels. He succeeded with Adam and Eve and consequently with every human being that's ever walked on the earth to some level. Ultimately, he will take many, many to hell with him. And the scripture tells us that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. That means that all of us to some level have succumbed to his temptations. Now, I love the church. I love this church. I love coming together for worship. But pride exists in this assembly. And as it does in every assembly where people are gathered in in, in the church. Because that's the way he works. Pride stems from the same spiritual temptation that Adam and Eve fell to and that Jesus was susceptible to when he was in the wilderness. Understand this. And it's been happening for 2,000 years. And you say, well, I don't really know if I'm so susceptible to this temptation of pride. Well, let me, let me ask you, have you ever thought this way or said this to someone else? Well, my idea of worship is, and you fill in the blank. Well, I really like to worship God by, and then kind of the, the subterfuge in that is, 
and the way that they do it, I don't think that's right. You know, or could it be found in this statement? Well, I love this approach to worship, but not so much that approach. And then this and that, of course, is open to whatever speculation whatever person brings to it, right? I like this kind of music, not that kind of music. I like this kind of preaching, not that kind of preaching. I like this kind of style, not that kind of style. You know, go on and on. Look, no matter how old or basic Christian principles and priorities are, we tend to forget them. We tend to forget what it is that we're being taught and shown by Jesus. So I want to give you some reminders of priorities that are easily forgotten in this realm of worship and cutting through the noise of our lives. Now at Third City, we, we, we have this vision that we make very clear. Our vision is to be a church of love unlimited. I think all of you have probably, if you've been around us, you know that's a part of our nomenclature, how we talk about ourselves. And then we have a mission too. Our mission is to worship God, to serve him with our lives, and to grow as his followers. Now, I will say this. The worship of God, that's preeminent in that statement. And that priority can be easily forgotten. Jesus tells us, he personally shows us, he shows us that worshiping God is the, is the duty. Yes, I'm using that word. The duty of every human being. The worship of God. Let's read about it. Jesus shows us this. Matthew 4, verse 8. The devil, Lucifer, the worship leader, former worship leader of heaven, the devil took him to a very high mountain. He showed him all the kingdoms of the world and the glory of them. And he said to him, I'll give all this to you if you will fall down and worship me. Then Jesus said to him, be gone, for it is written, you shall worship and serve the Lord your God. Only God shall you serve. Now, my friends, if the Son of God considers the worship of God to be his primary duty, how much more than should we? I mean, let me, let me warn you, though. I'm, I'm going to say some things. You may not like this. As a matter of fact, I'm going to paint a picture for you, and immediately some of you might say, yeah, I'm out. Okay, I'm just going to, I'm warning you. Okay, suppose you're a destitute kid playing in the street outside the palace of the king. Already you're going, wait a minute. I didn't know king in my life. I'm the king of my life. I'm out. Let me, I'll fill you this story. You can decide what you're going to do with it. So the king's own son comes into the street and starts playing with you. You're this destitute kid in rags, right? So you hit it off, this young prince. You, you know, he invites you into his, the palace he lives in. And he says, I want you to meet my father. And you're like, oh, okay. You know, your parents always said, stay away from that place. You know, don't get close to the door. They might, they might take you out, you know. So you're afraid of it. But your friend assures you, no, come. You'll be safe with me. So you follow the king's son, you go through the huge gate, it's intimidating, heart's beating so hard you can probably hear it. You'd never met a king before, and you only thought that you never would because, you know, you're just this peasant kid. But anyway, you, you follow in, and, and you're starting to get some confidence because you're with the prince, right? So that should be okay. So 
by the time you reach the inner rooms of the of the of the of the castle, you're you're fairly calm. You feel fairly safe because your friend is obviously confident being there. But but you notice that as you are entering into the inner chamber where the king actually can be found, that your your friend, the king's son, becomes more serious. It's not the kind of serious, by the way, that you're you're sensing he's afraid or that he's, you know, he somehow doesn't want to be there or he's, you know, his knees aren't knocking or anything like that. It's just this, 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 it's just this reverence maybe, this, some kind of awe that, that, that's coming up. It's, it's like, you know, it, it just changes something about him. It's not like he's an actor who's off stage and then, you know, you're goofing off and then when he gets on stage, he becomes something different. It's not that kind of thing at all. It's kind of like when a basketball team's warming up, you know, you, you know you're watching pre-game warm-up and you see that the players are kind of joking with each other, there's a slam dunk contest going on, at least when I was doing it, I did a lot of slam dunking when I was warming up, and, and, there's, a, and there, you know, there's just some jokes happening because actually I would get about this far from the rim when I was slam dumping and they'd laugh at me. But anyway, there's joking, there's fun, there's, you know, the coaches are kind of bantering with players and, you know, even the referees, you know, at that point there's some good stuff going on. But then as soon as the team, you know, as soon as the buzzer goes off and it's time to go to the huddle, you know, the team's demeanor changes. It's not that they become sad or afraid or, uh, you know, unless you're Kansas or Purdue, then you might. But, uh, but you, you, something happens and then you, you go into the huddle and the coach takes over. And it, it's reverent and there's something that, you know, we're listening, right? So back to the story. That's kind of what the, we're, this kid's experiencing. So... The son puts his hand on the long handle of the massive door and, and, and his face meets the king's in, in a natural manner. The king smiles as he sees his son and he sees his friend. But then this happens. The king's son goes to his hands and knees and he bows in reverence. Now, if you're the invited friend and you observe this, what should be your most natural response as well? Should it not be to do the same thing? Because you didn't go to a class called Peasant 101. You didn't take king classes. But you're going to follow the son as he bows to the father. Now listen. So it is in the wilderness when Satan tempts Jesus to worship him. Jesus doesn't say, I don't, you should be bowing to me. He doesn't say that. He says, no, the primary goal of all creatures everywhere is to bow before my Father in worship. It has always been that way, and it always will be. Now, here's the part that sometimes we don't like. For most of our lives, we have been trying to convince ourselves and others that we are great, that I am special that on my own merit, I'm probably okay enough for God. That in my own worth, I can probably get myself to where I need to be to be saved, to be accepted, to be enough. Or what we do is, instead of worshiping the one true God, we follow suit with Satan, with Lucifer, the, the fallen angel, and we, just, we look for lesser ways to give our homage in this world. You know, we, we go to, it's called idolatry, right? Where we, where we 
by idolatry, we worship thrones of lesser gods. We try to find meaning and purpose in our lives that way. And, and by the way, I use the word duty in worship, and that's stuck in some of your crawls because you're like, duty? What, I got to earn this now? I've been told I don't have to earn anything. You know, so you have this idea. What do you mean to worship God is, is a duty? You know, you, it bothers you. Because we tend to reject the idea that we are in any way some kind of a dirty peasant battered and bruised by this world who somehow needs help. Yet Jesus comes into the street. This is the analogy. He, he, you know, he befriends us. The Son of God befriends us by coming into our midst. And, and, and so we stand at, the, at his side at the throne of his Father. And what is our duty? The duty of every person in this room and every person not in this room, every person that ever has been or ever will be, is to worship Yahweh God. Period. Now that means that worship has to be priority number one. Number one of Third City Christian Church, the worship of God. Now, as I said earlier, we have a mission is to worship, serve, and grow. But serve and grow all stem from number one, which is worship. Worship is the number one duty of everything, everyone, everywhere. Even the rocks, Jesus said, will worship God. If, if you don't, the rocks will. So if we're going to cut through the noise, we need to put worship in its proper selected place. So let me give you two ideas or two questions, really, about this concept of the duty of worship. And I want to talk about it in terms of what do you mean worship is a duty, because I think it needs to be described. And then secondly, how does the church fit into this duty, okay? So in what sense is worship a duty? And I want to say this, and I heard this said, I can't claim it for myself, but I think it makes sense if you, hear, if you think it through. Worship is a duty, just not that kind of duty, okay? What kind of duty? Because, you know, when you think about duty, you think, well, it's an obligation then. It's like some formality. It's like, I have to do it. It's like, if I don't, I'm in trouble, you know, that kind of duty, right? Let me explain with a simple illustration. Let's say that a husband asks his wife this question. Do I have to kiss you goodnight? That's a stupid man, but that's another story. <laughs> the implication of that question is probably this. Do I need to fulfill that duty? Right? So... She might hear that and, say, and think it means, unless what is behind your kiss is a spontaneous affection for me, your beloved wife, and that's what motivates you, your ceremonial attempt means nothing to me. So it is a have to, she's saying, just not that kind of a have to. So yes, again back to worship, yes, worship is a duty, it's just not that kind of duty. Not the kind of duty that says, well, I really don't want to, but I guess I will if I have to. Not that. 
He said, there's no value in a kiss from your spouse without love at the core. There's no value of worship before God without love at the core. That's the point. Jesus talked about this. He actually devastated the most, the most religious human beings on earth at the time when he walked on the earth, when he, he quoted the prophet Isaiah about their worship. He said, you hypocrites, this is Matthew 15, verse 7, you hypocrites, Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you. These people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. Their worship is in vain. Their teachings are, are merely human rules. See what he's saying here? When, when, our, when we worship in a rule-bound, duty-driven form of way, our lips can kiss the ring all day long, so to speak, but it means nothing to God. Like it's in vain, he says. Because the number one duty of worship is from the love of the heart. Now, I will say this, that's why... We make attempts here to minimize traditions that worship can kind of become. So, you know, traditions that become more important than the God we're honoring. Now, understand this, please. Worship originates from inward affection. It's like, it's that kind of duty. I like how C.S. Lewis describes it. He says, it is a Christian duty, as you know, for everyone to be as happy as he can. I like that. Or the way Jeremy Taylor speaks of it when he says, God threatens terrible things if we will not be happy. Or as the psalmist writes in Psalm 37, 4, take delight in the Lord, take delight in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. You see the sense that, you know, it's, it's from the heart, it's, it's, it's encompassed by reverence and joy, worships our number one duty in life, but it should be something that's intrinsically formulated, not something that, that is thrust upon us as some form of rule-driven experience. So then that leads me to ask this question, what sh- how well shall we worship as a church? How should, when we gather as the church of the living God, the, the body of Christ on earth, and we gather together, because there's confusion on this, because like I said at the outset, there are broken attitudes that arise with worship. And believe me, they exist in every church where two or more are gathered in his name at some point or another. Worship disunity has spawned all kinds of bad stuff because of the lies that we believe from Lucifer. He continues to sow doubt in the churches in this area. Today in this gathering, some will be tempted to doubt God. Some are tempted to put themselves on the pedestal of this experience as if this is some kind of a selective um, opportunity they have to have it be their way, right? Like this should be appeal to me, my personal views on what a good worship service consists of. Some will continue to ask the question that their hearts just won't let go of. Well, why would I worship a God if that means blah, 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 blah? Well why, would I, well, why would I turn my life over to God if that means, and then they fill in the blank. Some of us will seethe in bitterness in this room today, a bitterness that no song, no sermon, no communion experience will break through. So how is it that we can move past ourselves 
and as a body commune. I want to use three E's to describe this, and that's what preachers do. We come up with three points, and then we put like letters on the front. Admittedly, this first letter, a little weak. I couldn't think of anything better. So we worship, first of all, in the Eucharist. Eucharist. When was the last time you used that word? Your former Catholic is like, I use it all the time. You know, I know. What I, you, you probably think I'm falling off the edge here because, you know, you thought you left that. But let me try this. We worship God massed together. Well, there's another word that you're like, the former Catholics are starting to sweat a little bit. But, but that's what the word means. We're massed together. And it, actually, the word Eucharist has an element of thanksgiving to it. That's what it means. It's, a, it's coming together in thanksgiving. I love it. Uh, Psalm 149.1, praise the Lord, sing to the Lord a new song, his praise in the assembly of the faithful people. Like, so we come together in gratitude. That, that, and that's what, so that should be a part of how, why we're here today. I'm just grateful to be with God's people in his presence together, together. And Eucharist is used as a term by the Catholic Church correctly to describe what happens in the communion service, the Lord's Supper. Now, it might be taken different directions. That's another story. But here's another E. We worship expectantly. John wrote the book of Revelation. He was one of Jesus' core followers. The book of Revelation, I know we see the book of Revelation as this mysterious book that talks about the future and what's going to happen in the end and all that. And it has some elements to it like that. But, but the book of Revelation, hear me on this, is primarily a book about worship. And if you look at it, it shows a contrast between what you can worship in this world and the fallen angel Lucifer and how Jesus has taken over. And one of the things that John writes in, from the vision that he had from God about the church, the ancient church in Laodicea, he says this, I know your deeds, that you are neither cold nor hot. I wish you were either one or the other because you're lukewarm, neither hot nor cold. I'm about to spit you out of my mouth. He's like, friends, it's consistent to say that lukewarm Christianity and thusly worship turns the stomach of Christ. That's why Saturday night, early Sunday morning, we should have some type of, of viewpoint that we're coming into on Sunday, if it's Sunday morning that you worship, we're coming into the presence of God in a new and fresh way, and we need to bring something to that. We, because we're not naturally hot. We, if, probably more than anything, we're lukewarm. So to bring sincerity and passion to God in worship, maybe I need to be less flippant about it. Maybe I need to be, maybe do a little bit of pre-work when it comes to my own attitude toward coming together with other Christians. Maybe it has something to do with the way I give. You know, do I give any thought to the fact that I'm going to be gathering with God's people and I want to be as generous as I can because of how generous God's been to me? What I'm trying to say is there's ways for us to be warmer when we come together for this purpose. Jesus promises, the scripture promises in Jeremiah 29, 13, you will seek me and find me when you seek me with all of your heart. We're created to seek God, and worship is that response. I mean, I mean, what, what do you bring to this place when it comes to your heart? Is it, is it, here I am, God, serve me? 
give me what I want today. I hope it works the way I want it to work around here. Or is it, yeah, here I am. Just take me. You show me. So the third E that I wanted to share with you is expressively. Many people, when they experience worship at a church like Third City, at first you don't know quite what to make of it because like you're like, well, they didn't give me a bulletin. They didn't give me a pamphlet when I walked in. And, and they don't announce any songs here. And they don't do any rotational kneeling and recited scriptures and liturgies, as we call them in the other church. And it seems like everything on the platform seems to be thought through ahead of time. And, and they have worship teams. And they seem rehearsed. And they seem to know what they're doing. And there's some talent there, I guess. So maybe you would jump to the wrong conclusion with that and start to think, so therefore, I don't need to bring anything. I don't need to express anything. You couldn't be any more wrong. The goal of this service is to bring us together in a unified expression of worship, to meet God together. And so, you know, maybe, for instance, you know, the preacher actually says something you can agree with. Why not say amen? Why not? Let's practice. Ready? Amen. Amen. Not, not that tough. Kind of gives the guy energy. Like, like I might even go another 20 minutes if you'd say that. It's a, <laughs> Taylor's like having a panic attack in the back, right? I'm telling you right now, he's like, no, nope, no, nope, don't do it. No, he wants you to amen. He just wants me to shut up. That's the way it works. But, but we, as with every one of our gatherings, like there's just expressions, you know, we stand together at times. Uh, when you see a baptism here, that's, a, that's the most, the most expression driven moment in a Christian's life as they, they say, here I am, Lord, and I'm going to let you, you know, take my life and put my old person behind me, bring me into new life and relationship with you. That's an expression, you know. As with every one of our gatherings, we share communion. In communion, communion's an expression. It's something that Jesus instituted for the church. He did it early on. He did it the night before he was crucified and he kept it moving throughout the course of the church. And so he invites us, this king invites us to a table. And the son of God, he's the, he's the one that opens up the table for us. At the place where his mercy and grace are, we remember and we focus and we worship and we, and we, and we do things at this place, in this moment where we put behind some things that have gotten in the way of our worship of God. It's a place to remember Jesus and bear witness to the hope that we have in Christ. A couple statements, and then we're going to commune together. Here's the first one. Worship is a heart that God is changing. You may not feel worthy today, to enter into the, into the palace of a king. That's probably not a bad way to feel because it shows humility. But he wants to change you. And if you'll let him, he will. And if you're willing to let him change you, you belong. Here's a second thing. Worship cuts through the noise. We're going to spend a little time communing together, a little extended time than normal, and we're going to walk through this together. So if you will just follow along. Lord, would you lead the way today in worship? Lord, would you cut through the lying noise of 
a Lucifer who is still hell-bent on dragging us with him to that unpleasant result. Lord is our example, the Son of God, who enters into the throne of worship. May we follow you. Lord, I know you, were, you showed us you were tempted to bow to lesser things. And you succeeded where all of us have failed, where Israel failed. You, you succeeded where Lucifer failed because you put your life perfectly in God's hands. We don't live by our power, but by your help. Our success in entering into this throne room is found completely by humbling ourselves and following you in because you are the Son of God. We have a cross to know that you're with us and we have you to take us into access. And we know that God loves you and then you've shown us that he loves us too. So we give him the glory and worship as we express that together in the Lord's Supper. So as we take the bread, the simple piece of bread that reminds us of the massive expression of worship that Jesus leads us in, a sacrificial Jesus who was broken for us. We remember that he led us into the throne room of God through his death and brokenness on the cross. And then we take a cup, a simple reminder of the price of hope, the price of forgiveness, the price of mercy, his blood shed on the cross. Remember him. Celebrate with each other in thanksgiving. Thanks for listening to the Third City Christian Church Podcast. Please join us for one of our worship services at 9, 10, 15, or 11.30 a.m. in Grand Island and at 10, 15 a.m. in Broken Bow on Facebook Live and at thirdcityc.online.church each Sunday. For more information about Third City Christian Church, send email to podcast at thirdcityc.org. Call us at 308-384-5038 or visit us online at thirdcityc.org.